Well, please continue to pray for one another. There's so many things we could have mentioned this morning. Uh, don't have time to mention everything, but um, please be in prayer. Uh, I prayed about what to begin the year preaching on, and I typically do. And there were a lot of things that I thought I could begin the year talking about. And certainly I could have just continued on through the book of Acts, and we'll go back to the book of Acts. But I'd like to start the year in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians 13, a very, very well-known passage for most of us, if not all of us. 1 Corinthians 13. There's a story about a teacher of first graders. She had 32 first graders in her class. It was in a a state where in the wintertime they had a lot of snow and a lot of cold weather, and so she had the, the task of helping the kids undress and, and dress as they would go out, you know, outside and play at recess time. And there was this one time where she had helped all 32 of the kids get their galoshes on and get ready to go outside for um, recess. And the last little girl, once her galoshes was on, said, Teacher, you know what? These aren't my galoshes. So she's put on 32 pairs already, and, and she's... Without a word, takes off the galoshes of this little girl, and the little girl continued, They belong to my sister, but she let me use them. So she just quietly puts the galoshes back on the little girl, and she goes outside to play. That's an illustration of what we're going to be talking about, is patience. Uh, what patience really looks like, what it looks like in very challenging situations, as small as working with kids and misunderstanding what they're saying and then having to do over again the very thing that you just done 32 times already and how that translates into bigger things as well. Um, patience is one of those things that we might think is a relatively easy thing until you really think about what it really means. And so we're going to take some time to do that because it's very, very important that we do so. But I'd like to read... Uh, the whole chapter, it's not a very long chapter, of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and then we're going to look in particular at the very first part of verse 4. Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor... And if I surrender my body to be burned, and do not ha- but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child... I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of God. One of the things that I wanted to start our discussion with is just the basics. As a reminder, as we begin this new year, uh, if we were to ask the question, what does God want for me in 2021? A A great scripture to keep in mind is Galatians 5, 6, which says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. So Paul is talking about the issue of, you know, what is really important in the eyes of God? Is it certain religious rituals? Is it certain religious activities? Uh, is it certain deeds? He says, no, what really matters uh, is a faith that works to produce love. So those two things, faith and love, or as you might say, trust and love, is a good way of summarizing what God wants from us in 2021. He wants us to trust his promises. He wants us to love according to his commands. Whatever happens, that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to love in the ways he's called us to love. And it's helpful to realize that when we talk about trust, trust is a two-sided coin of sorts in that Part of our trust and the foundational trust we need to have is a rest in Jesus. We need to be resting in Jesus for our pardon, the forgiveness of our sins, and for perfection, for a gift of his own righteousness. Because those are the two things that make us reconciled to God, acceptable to God. He, he, through Jesus, cleanses us of our sins and clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And so when I confess my sin and I receive Jesus and I rest in him for what I need to be right with God, that I'm reconciled to God. And I'm to continue in my Christian life resting in Jesus, trusting him for his forgiveness, trusting him for my perfection, because I'm going to continue to see my sin, I'm going to continue to see my imperfection. And therefore I rest in something outside of me, which is Jesus. Who is Jesus? But the other part of that is because I'm reconciled to God and I'm resting in Jesus and what he's done, not resting in what I do, then I have a hope in God. I can hope in God for what I need, the help I need. I can hope in God for happiness, for the satisfaction of my soul. And so the trust that I'm called to exercise this year is both in terms of resting in Jesus for my right relationship to God and a trust of hope in God for all that I need and all that I desire. And that dual trust is what enables me to love. Because trust and love is a kind of two-sided coin too. We cannot love without trusting. That's why it says faith works through love. If I'm going to love, I have to trust. And those are the two ways you could say in summary form we can talk about what it means to trust. A trust in Jesus, a trust in the promises of God that he's made me because of Jesus. That enables me, or you could say the Spirit works through that trust and gives me that trust so that I'll, I'll love. And there are two aspects of that love. One is submission to God's word. The Bible says if I'm going to love... I will keep his commandments. 
can't separate what God tells me to do from loving. And so faith in God, trusting in God means, okay, then I'll do what he says. You know, if he's promised me help and happiness, then I'll do what he says for that help and happiness. It's just related. It fits. It's just uh, reasonable that if I'm really trusting in God for the help I need and the happiness I long for, then I will embrace his commands. I won't see them as something that's a a burdensome thing. I will see it as the pursuit of the help I need and the pursuit of the happiness my heart longs for. And so trusting in God results in that submission to God's word. But that doesn't happen in a vacuum. That happens in a fallen world where there is all kind of suffering and pain and challenges. And that's where submitting to God's will comes in. Because whatever happens to me is the providential will of God. It's what he's ordained for me. And it's in that context that he calls me to trust him. It's in that context that that he calls me to submit to his word. And so love requires both. It requires that I submit to his word, but I also submit to his will because that's the context in which that word is to be fleshed out in my life. So I want to take some time to talk about that because it has everything to do with what we're going to talk about in 1 Corinthians 13. That dynamic of what we're talking about here will continue to touch on because that is how we pursue love. It's through resting in Jesus, hoping in God, embracing what God tells me to do to love people and seeking to trust him in the circumstances that I find myself in. All right. Well, the first thing that we're going to talk about with regard to love is in verse four at the very beginning where it says love is patient. I'm going to see if this works or not. Could you just go to the third slide there, Jan? I don't think this is working. I think it was left on. Thank you very much. So we're going to talk about just begin talking about this phrase. Love is patience. Seems Simple enough, right? Um, This week, I think, at one of our um, meals together, we were talking about the term snowflake. Anybody heard the term snowflake? Uh, The term snowflake has been used in a derogatory way. Uh, It tends to have to do with the idea of uniqueness. You know, snowflakes are unique. They're all different. So it has something to do with uniqueness, are people thinking they're unique in various ways. And snowflakes are very delicate. And so it has something to do with being delicate. And so it's been used to talk about um, people, a lot of times younger people in our society, but it applies across the board in various ways, to talk about people in terms of those who uh, seem to have an inflated sense of uniqueness, you know, uniqueness in terms of... um, Maybe entitlement, what they're entitled to or, or the situations they find themselves in. Um, people use the term in, with regard to those who are easily offended, highly emotional, and find it very difficult to deal with people with opposing opinions. And that is interesting in light of the fact that um, the very first thing that Paul talks about is the issue of being patient um, and it's also interesting in light of something that um, John Piper talked about at a pastor's conference many years ago. 
and he was doing a biography, a short biography on a pastor of the eight, in the 1800s named Charles Simeon. And in talking about Charles Simeon, he kind of set it up by saying, and this was a number of years ago, but it relates very well to the idea of snowflakishness. It's not just limited to millennials. <laughs> he was talking about it a long time ago. And so all of us are, are affected and in, afflicted by snowflakiness in various ways. But he talked about it in terms of emotional fragility. And he talked about the fact that, you know, that we live um, in times, and this was probably 30 years ago he was talking about this. He says, one of the pervasive marks of our times is emotional fragility. He says we are easily hurt. We pout and mope easily. We break easily. Our marriages break easily. Our faith breaks easily. Our happiness breaks easily. And our commitment to the church breaks easily. We are easily disheartened. And it seems we have little capacity for surviving and thriving in the face of criticism and opposition. He said, when historians list the character traits of the last third of the 20th century, uh, America, commitment, constancy, tenacity, endurance, patience, resolve, and perseverance will not be on the list. He says, if you think that you are not at all a child of your times, just test yourself to see how you respond in the ministry when people reject your ideas. So he's talking to pastors. So he's applying it to pastors, but it applies to everyone. He says, when you're surrounded by a society of emotionally fragile quitters, and you see a lot of this same ethos in yourself, he says, it's helpful to spend time with people, dead or alive, that exhibit something different. And he goes on to talk about Charles Simeon, this pastor who served a church for 54 years, and for a number of the first years he was there, 12 years, the people in the church did not want him there. And that was a time when you actually could lock your pew. And so the people wouldn't go to church and they would lock the pew so nobody could sit in church. And those that did come would have to sit in the aisles of the church. And that went on for 12 years. And somebody asked, you know, uh, Charles Simeon, how did you endure that? How were you so patient in light of those circumstances. And he said, My dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I'm getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking of my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory. And so John Piper is using Charles Simeon as an example to follow of doing what Paul tells us to do in Romans 12, 12, be patient in tribulation. He says, uh, I, I want to see in you, he's talking to pastors, and I think Paul would say to all of us, I want to see in you um, a response to persecution and opposition and slander and misunderstanding and disappointment and self-recrimination and weakness and danger See it as the normal portion, he would say, to the pastor's faithful pastoral ministry, but see it as the normal portion of life in a fallen world. That That is life in a fallen world. Misunderstanding, slander, opposition, disappointment, 
weakness, danger, and all kinds of things. And so when I think about what's going on here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with a church that's very divided. They're divided over um, who they're going to follow. Some say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I I follow Jesus. I'm more spiritual than all of you. And then there there was the vision over the Lord's Supper and what was going on at the Lord's Supper. And so there are all kinds of divisions over, you know, people suing people in the secular courts and and division over spiritual gifts. That's why this chapter is actually in the middle of a discussion of spiritual gifts. Because they were looking at each other and saying, I'm better than you because I have a different gift. I have a better gift than you have. You're not as important. I'm more important because of the gift that I have. So there was all kinds of division and problems in the church. And that's why at the very end of chapter 12 in verse 31... He says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. The more excellent way is the way of love. You have to ask the question, in talking about love, why does Paul start with patience? Why does he start by saying something like, love is a many-splendored thing? Or love um, is a peaceful, easy feeling? You know, why does he say something wonderful and fuzzy, warm and fuzzy? Why does he start out by saying love is patient? Well, I think it's because you can't love if you shut down, harden your heart, and leave. If you just shut down, harden your heart, and walk away from the relationship, then you have cut yourself off from that person. You can't love. That's what was being threatened in the church. They were divided, they were at odds with each other, and they were at the point, potentially, of just walking away from each other. Because they didn't agree. Because they offended each other. Because they didn't like where each other stood on various positions. And so Paul, I believe, starts off by talking about patience because it's so crucial to loving. Loving like God loves. And the reality is, the Christian life is very much about love. And the way the Bible talks about it is, first of all, it says at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And Paul could sum up what that means when he says, the is love. And so to follow what Christ commands is to pursue You can have great speaking um, abilities, which is very much speaking ability, great spiritual gifts, and great sacrifice. And he says, real love in it, like what Paul is talking about here, it's worthless. It's valuable. Not that they're perfect. What we do will never be perfect in this life. But if it's an that we have... A faith in Jesus is if we love. If you read the book of First John, first, because we love the brethren, he who does not love abides in death. Or First John four seven and eight, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
The word for love that is being used is agape, is a word that was seldom used by the Greek-speaking people in that day and time. And so the Christians adopted this seldom-used word to, to describe the kind of love that God calls us to as Christians. It's different than family love. Family love says, I love you because we're kin. Uh, it's different than erotic love, which says, I love you because you are attractive to me. It's different than friendship love, which says, I love you because we have things in common or you're like me. It's different than reciprocal love, which says, I love you because you love me. And it's different than what we might call beneficiary love. I love hot dogs because they taste so good to me. There's not not anything necessarily wrong with those loves, but it's not the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. The love that Paul is talking about doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and that's the only way that we're going to express it because it's the quality of love that's expressed in the cross. When we look at the cross, we see the kind of love God is talking about. It's the kind of love that proceeds from God. It's not something that comes from us naturally. It proceeds from God. It's the kind of love that comes uh, from the nature of the lover, and it's not produced by the one being loved. It's not drawn out by the one being loved. It's flows out of the lover. It's a self-giving love. It's a love, as someone has said, that seeks nothing for itself, but only the good of the loved one. In the Greek, um, the word for patient is a combination of two words, one of these which means long, and one of these that means passion. Long passion. And what that means is, it means long to show a certain passion. And oftentimes that passion that is being being referred to is the passion of anger. And that's why in the Old Testament, that word in the Sept is used to translate, or is translated slow to anger. Long to anger, or slow to anger. But it could also include other emotions as well, like slow to Um, irritability, or slow to depression, or slow to complaining, slow to whatever negative response to a person or to life, if you want to put it that way. So I don't want to limit it to anger, but it's that's part of it. That's part of the picture. It's it's having a long fuse, so to speak, Um, to be long-tempered, Uh, to be patient, long-suffering, to bear with. It's a kind of waiting in various ways. Um, There's a story about um, Abraham Lincoln and a man named uh, Edwin Stanton. Edwin Stanton did not like Abraham Lincoln. He didn't like his policies, didn't like him personally. He um, opposed Lincoln's policies, and he called him names. This will probably remind you of uh, the debates if you ever watched any of those this year. He called uh, Lincoln a low, cunning clown. That's not a new term to use for presidential uh, candidates. He nicknamed him the original gorilla. He said that this one explorer did not need to go to Africa to find a gorilla. There's one right here in Springfield, Illinois. Talking about Abraham Lincoln. He was merciless in his criticism of Lincoln. 
But Lincoln chose him to be his war secretary because he was the best man for the job. And when Lincoln was shot and was lying uh, there, wounded and dying, Edward Stanton looked at him with tears in his eyes and said, There lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. And someone said the patience of love had conquered in the end. That's the kind of picture that we want to get when we're talking about patience. We're talking about something that isn't an easy thing to do, that is meant to um, take place in in situations of the greatest provocation and in the most difficult of relationships and the most difficult of circumstances. And yet it has the potential, by God's grace and God's design, to do tremendous things in the heart of people. Uh, Someone has said, uh, patience is bearing with a person's worst behavior without retaliation, regardless of the circumstances. Bearing with a person's worst behavior, regardless of the circumstances, without retaliation. When Jonathan Edwards preached on uh, this little phrase, he entitled... um, His sermon, Charity, meaning love, meek and bearing evil and injuries. And he defined love that's being talked about here as a truly Christian spirit that will dispose us meekly to bear the evil that is received from others or the injuries that others may do to us. That's why uh, it's so really important to understand what we're really talking about when we talk about patience because God commands patience. It's one of the things that Jesus said to the apostles, teach my people what I've commanded you. And one of the things that I command you is to be patient. It says in First Thessalonians 5.14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. No exceptions. Everyone. This patience is something that is especially with regard to people, but it applies to circumstances too. It's both people and circumstances. Uh, In Matthew 18, you've got the story of the man whose accounts are being called in, and the king says, I'm going to sell all that you have to pay off your debt. And the slave says to the king, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Please have patience with me. And James, it says, Therefore be patient, brethren, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, which means be patient in your circumstances. So in one sense, it's about patience with people. In another sense, it's about patience with circumstances. And this patience is a reflection of the patience of God. Um, in Second Peter 3, it says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance or Romans 2:4 says do you not do excuse me or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance or we can look at uh, 1 Timothy 1 when Paul is talking about his own conversion and he says yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal 
life. In the Old Testament, many, many times, it uh, says that God was slow to anger. If you thought about what we read or noticed it as we read through the verse Verses that Daniel read for us, it mentions that God is slow to anger. Exodus 34, in which God reveals himself to Moses, says, The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Abounding in loving kindness and truth. Being slow to anger. So much we can say about this, but let me kind of try to bring this to a close. This patience is is long-suffering. It's suffering long in the face of difficult and disappointing people and circumstances, and it's not an easy thing. And it's interesting, if you look at Proverbs 14, there's a number of verses in Proverbs that talk about people, not just God, but talk about people being slow to anger or slow to an improper emotional response or passionate response. In Proverbs fourteen twenty nine, it says, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. So to be slow to anger shows a kind of greatness. In Proverbs 15, verse 18, it says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. In 1632, it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. We tend to think, boy, people that are strong and physically strong or are strong in, in a military sense or strong in a political sense, those are the great people of the world. The Bible says those who are patient are great. In the eyes of God. 1911 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. So patience has to do with, in a sense, overlooking transgressions. Let me close with this. We live in a time where there's a lot of talk about cancel culture. Um, Cancel culture is a form of ostracism. It's a form of, in a sense, thrusting out uh, those people that um, we don't like for various reasons. We don't like what they say. We don't like what they stand for. Either we do it online in social media or we do it very practically, personally, in other ways in the real world. It's the idea of not giving support to a person, not being in relationship to a person any longer. Um, it's kind of boycotting of people. I'm just going to boycott that person, you know, because I don't like what they say, don't like what they stand for. There's a story, it's an ancient Hebrew story, traditional story of sorts, and I've told it before. You may recall the story in which Abraham is sitting in, his, in the tent, the door of his tent, at about the time um, the sun is going down, and he sees this old man, weary and tired, walking along the road. And he jumps up, and he invites the old man in to have a meal and to spend the night with him and to get some rest. And so he washes the old man's feet, and he fixes him a meal, and they're getting ready to eat. And the old man immediately begins eating without praying. So Abraham says, don't you worship God? 
And the old man said, I worship fire only and reverence no other God. Well, immediately Abraham is enraged by this man's position and what he just said. And so he grabs him by the shoulder and jerks him up and thrusts him out, casts him out, cancels him. Well, later on in the evening, God comes to Abraham and says, where's that stranger you invited into your tent? And Abraham said, I forced him out, kicked him out. In our terms, I canceled him. Because he did not worship you. And according to the story, God answers, I have suffered him these 80 years, although he dishonors me. Could you not endure him one night? I have suffered him. I have put up with him for all these years. Though he dishonors me, I've loved him, continue to love him. Could you not love him one night? Which is a way of saying, I want you to be like me. I want you to show my patience to people just like I show patience to you and everyone else in a sinful, fallen world. We're going to talk more about this, and so you'll just have to wait until next week to talk more about patience. But just think about these things as we close. Where do you see yourself with regard to the issue of patience? Where do you see your relationship with God? Where do you see your relationship with other people in your life with regard to the issue of patience as it's being defined by the scriptures? What do you need to do to trust God in order to be more patient? How do you need to live differently to show the patience that God calls you to? I have to ask those questions of myself. I hope you'll ask those questions of yourself as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. You've given us in your word a picture of what real love looks like, the love that you have for us, the love that you've shown to us, and the love that you call us to as your people. And I thank you that you don't leave us on our own. You've given us the Holy Spirit to live in us and to enable us to understand what your word says and to grow in our trust and to grow in our love and therefore to grow in our patience, our patience in our circumstances and our patience with people in our lives for your glory, for their good, and maybe even for their salvation. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us as we seek to trust and love in this new year, 2021. We ask that you would be our teacher. We ask that you would be our enabler. We ask that you'd help us to take our sin quickly to the cross and to leave it there and to rest in Jesus for the pardon we need and the perfection we need. Grant us grace to quickly run to you and hope in you for the help we need to be patient for our happiness in this life and help us to embrace your commands, including the command to love patiently, to embrace it not as a burden, but as the very thing that our heart cries out for that will truly bring us greater, deeper joy and peace and happiness in you. So, Father, we just thank you for the time in your word, brief as it is. We pray that you would cause it to bear much fruit in our lives and that you'd help us to begin thinking this through and applying it 
this week in our lives, in our relationship with you and with others. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.